stuff. It's good music. Appreciate it. We're going to be in June. We're going to be in June for about seven weeks. And you may go, oh, or oh. But I uh, hope you'll be blessed. I encourage you to at least read the book of June once a week. I mean, it's really short. And we'll get over the jokes because it throws me off. There's technically only one chapter, if you want to call it a chapter in June. So basically, I'm just kidding. We go to Jude, and today we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And again, I want to stress about Wednesday nights. You're just really missing out on a hidden gem. Uh, all we're doing is uh, we're going through what I preached about, that section of Scripture, and we're kind of unpackaging it. It gives more time if you have questions and things like that. And so I encourage you, since we're going to be starting in Jude on what I preached on today, I encourage you to maybe make a decision that's at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary and <coughs> be a part of that because I think you'll be blessed. What do we know about the book of Jude other than the Beatles song, Hey Jude, or whatever? Um, what do we know about the book of Jude? If you were to ask me, and obviously wow, I got a green Bible and masters and all that kind of stuff, and when I think of Jude, I mainly think of the, the, the doxology of the ending, you know. Uh, of how he ends the book and it's used in a lot of stuff. Um, but why are we looking at Jude today? Um, for some practical reasons. Some of you know Wednesday I had that booklet and, and Jude's a good book to cover, but that's not the main reason. I've wanted to do Jude for a while because it seems very pertinent. Uh, not just the stuff we're dealing with right now, but obviously Jude had wrote this to uh, first century Christians and it applies to us today. But it's basically about uh, false teachers and twisting the truth. I want us to understand the difference between false doctrine. What we're trying to, what we're dealing with today as Christians is, oh, the cultural culture has changed, so we need to change with it. That's true to an extent. If I go back to there was a time some of you ladies would remember that to wear to wear pants in church, you just didn't do that. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not putting you down. Obviously, it's okay now. But women would wear dresses. Men, I'm so thankful that the suit thing, I'll probably get in trouble later. But, you know, I had the tie in seminary. We call it the holy leash. Okay, and I'll wear a tie. And you guys crack me up sometimes when I do dress up. Yeah, one of my white trash the rest of the time. You look nice, Pastor. Translation, do this more often. Well, we'll see, okay? But, but... Those are, those are cultural things. The, the principle of the dress versus pants has to be if we can't tell if you're a man, a man or a woman. Okay, well, obviously, we can tell that, hopefully. Maybe you check your eyes or whatever. But, um, but, the, but you see what I'm saying? Those are cultural things. But when we talk about marriage and when we talk about gender, those things don't change regardless of culture. I'm, just using, I'm not trying to pick on one area, but I want you to understand what Judah's going to be talking about. He's going to be talking about, we're not talking about things that, the concept of modesty is still there. The concept of telling whether this is a man or a woman, whether they wear pants or a dress, is still there. But he's talking about the fact of things that don't change that God says, that false teachers are coming in and starting to change and twist the truth. Sound familiar? They're dealing with it then, we're dealing with it now. And so we struggle to know the truth, and the problem is, let's just be honest, Christians are not reading the Bible. And they're not reading it completely. I don't mean it, 
you have to be a Bible scholar, but as a Christian, you should be a continual student of the Bible. Okay, I don't, I don't, I'm continuing to learn things, and, and, it's, and we need to all be learning what God's Word says. But the problem is, is people are not reading God's Word, and they're getting their theology from whatever. And so, if you don't know what God's Word says, how do you know what I'm saying is true? How do you know what you hear someone else saying is true? Or in our society, the things that are accepted. So we struggle to know the truth. We then we have to make a choice because there's a lot of there's a lot of people now that they may believe strongly something, but they're undercover Christians. And I don't mean you go to somebody and say, "Hey, I believe this. You better do that." God may get you into that conversation, but. We have those that, I, I believe this, but shh, undercover. Hmm, what do you do with Matthew 5, 16 that says, Let your light so shine before men that you may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we struggle to know the truth. We struggle to hold to the truth and to tell the truth. And then it's like, man, this is too hard. And this is why Voice of the Martyrs, I mention it a lot, and... and, and Listen to their podcasts and maybe look at the Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and, and understanding that, yes, the American church is going to face persecution. And it's time for us to be not a weak link in that chain. And so you may struggle to stay true. And this is why I don't believe anybody loses their salvation. When you're saved, you're saved. But I think we're having a sifting of... If you stand for what's right and you hold to what's right and you practice what is right according to God's word, there's going to be pressure and there's going to be a challenge. Of, ah, am I going to stand on this or am I going to go on downstream with everybody else? So what's the solution? We have a choice either to stray from the truth or to stay true to God, who is the way, the truth, and the life. In this troubled world, here's your action step. Stay true to God. Pretty simple, huh? Sounds simple. We're going to see in these two verses what that encounters and what that's about. And your feeling today is the word stay, S-T-A-Y. And we'll look at these things. But let's look at the background. We, we see this struggle in Jude. Uh, you figure it out. You can look it up. But Jesus, see, I don't even know why they call them half-brothers, but I get this. So, uh, Jesus was fully, fully God and fully man. I believe that, that, that God placed his son in Mary. But James and Jude are the half-brothers of Jesus, not because of divorce, but we know that God is, is Jesus' father. So the, when you look this up, Jude is a half-brother of Jesus and of James. And James was the leader of the early Christian church in Jerusalem. And remember how his family thought of Jesus at first. He's crazy. He thinks he's God. <laughs> and that funny family conversation. He really thinks he's God. He's got a God complex. <laughs> okay, all right. They're the ones with the issue. They haven't figured it out yet, okay? But again, like when we study First Peter, so we know the author is Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, who obviously realized that Jesus was God. Man, I shouldn't have said that. I've done that to my brother growing up. Man, they get pride for that later, you know, because he's God. Okay, now you know, thinking through that kind of thing. But now, 
he is talking to Jewish Christians. So they're Jews that have realized that Christ is the Messiah. And now uh, we see the church in Jerusalem was growing. And then persecution <coughs> happened. And they were spread throughout the Roman Empire. And so Jude is the author. Oh, thank you, Siri. Okay, whatever. It, it told me about Roman Empire. Okay. okay. All right. They're listening, guys. They're always listening. Okay. All right. I see we got that on, on, on tape, too. So, all right. But the Jewish Christians scattered throughout the world. Okay? And so the author's Jew. The audience are Christians that are scattered. They're scattered because they're being persecuted. And so this is the early church. And he's talking, and he's focusing on the subject of there's liars in the church. There's truth twisters, is the definition. They try to deceive people and reject God. Either Christ is fully God, or he's not. Either his <laughs> word is acceptable. You, have, you do not have the right, and I, have, I do not have the right to treat God's word like a buffet. Oh, I like that. Don't like that. Go and buy it. Like this. We, the first thing is to fully accept Christ and fully accept that this is his word. And we can study that sometime, that this word came through a lot of strain of people holding to it and understanding it. And it was inspired, men inspired by God to write down his word. And the Bible that we have has been proven true. We won't get into it today, but ancient texts, this was written by first century Christians, our New Testament. And then what we understand that there have been several copies of these letters. So it's not one letter saying, hmm, is that what it said? But several copies that said the exact same thing. So this Bible that you hold is a very valid ancient document. But then it doesn't matter. You'll have liars and truth twisters that go back to what Satan did in the garden to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? This is why I use the example of culture. Yes, culture changes, but there's things, and again, not trying to pick on one thing, your physical anatomy, you may choose to change it, but naturally it doesn't change. And I'm just going, let's go to science, because science will always prove God's true if we follow this example. Again, not trying to pick on one thing, but why is it on commercials for medicine they, that they suddenly will make a thing that's basically saying, whatever you call yourself, I'm translating. Whatever you call yourself, this medicine still won't work for you if you're not this gender. Okay? And so what we have to understand is there's, just using it as an example, there's truth twisters. Did God really say that? Did God mean that? And we need to understand what the difference between a cultural thing or what God's meaning is. And so they were struggling with this. And as we go through Jude, we think of the false teachers today and continue to uh, to try to get people off their faith. And we need to ask the question today as we stay to stay true to God, how can we know a true minister? And how can we know a true believer? You know, churches I've been in and I'm no longer there, I understand I'm not the shepherd, the under shepherd at those churches anymore, but I've seen some of those those people like like you all that I'm blessed to be the under shepherd here and help take care of God's flock and 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 Proverbs says know your sheep by name and, and carefully attend to your flocks and and the previous churches when they when I've had 
some some former church members looking for a different church and they're telling me about churches that they're they're looking at i try to help them with the questions and one of them like who is jesus he's not fully god and fully man not the only way to salvation do not go to that church and you know what the other question is this where do you place the importance of god's word oh we use it in some other things and some people will tell you what you want to know, and some of these ministers will tell you what you want to know. But here's the deal. Here's where we need to place God's Word. It is the foundation of all that we do. God's Word says it, we'll do it. If it doesn't, we won't do it. If we don't understand it, we'll try to follow God's principles. But God's Word has the final say. Here's another indicator. When we're talking about false teachers or those that are who is Christ? Where is God's word? We're going to go through a series on that eventually of what we believe and all those things and what the Bible says about it. But the false teacher, a lot of times you can tell in sermons, and you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be like Paul. I didn't come, with you, come to you with fancy speech or all this kind of stuff. It just is what it is. But you can tell pretty quick on where this is placed. And that person may not be a false, uh, false teacher, but... If they're, I gave you the text. We're going to be in Jude 1 and 2. I'm going to go over the scripture, tell you what it says and how to apply it to your life. But how many, how many churches today is God's word not even spoken in the sermon, maybe mentioned, never gotten back to? It's the person's story. I'll tell you stories. It's happy you fall asleep or something. Or I'll chase a rabbit for a minute to keep you awake or whatever. But we're going to get to the point. That's why I have an outline here to keep me on track too. Let's go to false teachers. Where is God's word placed in the, for the teacher and in the church? If it is not center and the base of everything they say, that is a scary place to be. And I will say this, not all churches there are great churches, but a large majority in the American church today are not centering the word of God and they're doing whatever they want. I, I feel I'm a pretty creative person. I've said this before, but if I didn't have to worry about looking up scripture and find out what it means, looking at commentaries, and you guys really support this. There's a lot of churches like, what do you do, Pastor? Well, I don't want to do it with people, it's planning, but a lot of it's a preparation of the work because I don't want to give you a happy meal. I want to give you a meal. Okay, I don't want to give you I want to give you some substance. But it would be so much easier just to take my imagination, because there would be a lot of Doctor Who, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, uh, fishing, hunting, whatever. Just give you little homilies and then add a little God tag to it. That scares the crap out of me. Because I'm going to answer for what I tell you. Why am I spending this much time? Because we're here. They were there in first century. Those that will twist the truth, those that will lie, and... and and, and C.S. Lewis said this, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And you have in some preaching, you've got snobs. This is what pastor deals with. You've got snobs on both sides. We're going to be a, a, you know, an expository preacher. Uh, and the expository preachers, which expository, what does God's word say? And I'm going to tell you. And I want to be that. But I'm also a topical preacher. I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to see where God, what needs you have and see what the scripture says about that, and then correctly define that. But sometimes they get so stuck on expository. And you know, we'll do this. We did it with First Peter. We're doing it in Jude here. But like we went verse by verse through those things. But a lot of times in my ministry, I've done series on things that that church needed, and I directly went to the scripture. 
And so you got that side of it, which is good, that they get a little snobby, like you're not preaching through the whole Bible just verse by verse. And we'd be dead if I preached through the whole Bible. I mean, we'd have to pass it on to somebody else unless I put it fast forward, okay? And that's okay if God let us. I'm not putting those people down. Some people get a little uppity about that, other ministers, you know. But then you got the other end of the spectrum that's like, I just do whatever, it's a thought, it's another thing, and I might tag a scripture to that. And then with culture, I'm gonna I'm not gonna say anything definite because I don't want to offend anybody. Good luck not offending anybody. I I'm telling you, we are way past there, and I'm not being political. But I think we need to watch all in the family and the Jeffersons make younger people watch that. Okay? See if you get offended or not. Okay? Um the fact we know there's idiots out there, love them anyway, and go on, okay? And me included, okay? But you see what I'm saying? I'm going to hide behind Jesus in his work. Because if I had to sit here and worry, I don't want to offend or hurt anyone. But when you come back to you see how the word saves us, guys? Notice the verse I bring up to you a lot. James, uh, I mean, uh, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And I always say that's his words, not mine. Just like a good parent, you need to just say, hey, I love you. I follow God's word, and this is what it says, so you argue with it. I don't even know how I would do a sermon if I was going to try to not offend people. I don't. I don't do a sermon like, how can I offend people today? My desire is not to offend anybody. But guess what? God's word is truth. If we don't choose to follow the truth, we will be offended. They were offended by Christ. We need to love people. But I, don't, I don't even know how a person could do a sermon without not offending by even leaving the scripture out. It would be talking about unicorns and flowers. I don't know. But anyway, and somebody may get offended on that. So anyway, <laughs> as, as we go through Jude, I want you to be thinking about false teachers today. And how can we know a true minister? How can we know a true believer? Because it goes, it, it, it follows. If a minister's not true to God's word and not truly trying to follow God, what kind of product do you think he's going to produce? What kind of disciple? It's not a disciple of you following me. I, I want to be the moon, and I want to reflect the light of the sun, S-O-N. It's not about light on me. It's about me pointing to Christ. And so if a false teacher, I want you to understand, this was happening then, still happening. If a false teacher is not pointing to Christ, what kind of product is going to be produced? What kind of disciple? You know, the reason we have a lot of those that have been in evangelical churches going into cults is because I'm not having true ministers that said, hey, this is what God's word says. And I'm not bragging about myself. I'm just saying the reason I do this is because I know I'll answer for it if I don't. I have a loving God that loves me. I'm not living in that fear, but I take this seriously. And this is what we need to understand. What, what do I want you to get from this? You need to gauge, is this in God's word? Am I in God's word? Because this is very important. And so this, this brings us to the core of this passage that we're going to look at today, Jude 1 and 2. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. We just talked about that. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied. We've been looking at that. Peter, he's talking about that all the time. We'll get into that in a minute. And 
we stay true by being a true servant of God. And we talked about Jude with, and all of his resume. But if you go back to, he uses the word there in, in verse 1, a servant. And that's a bond servant. That we get the word bondservant, uh, not saying slavery was right and slavery was overcome in most, most societies and that's a good thing, but at the time in the Roman world, slavery, they were slaves, it was just, it's a really weird concept. Yes, they were slaves, but a lot of them were professionals, they were indentured, they never really bought their ways out, but even a doctor could be a slave, but people that had all these kind of things, but... A huge part of the known Roman world were slaves. And God took care of that, obviously. And slavery's a bad thing. It was their economy. It was how it was. I'm not saying it was right, but it's even a different structure than when we look at American slavery, which was, was just as wrong, okay? But we need to understand a bondservant. A bondservant, and we see this in the Old Testament, they may have been, and, 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 and the, to the Jews, there would be slavery. They would be indebted. Let's talk about the term indentured servant. And we see that in the forming of America. You come over here and work for me this many years, and then you'll be free. Okay? So we see that in Israel. And what would happen is you'd have somebody that would be done with their tenure, but they had, they had fallen in love with the family. They enjoyed the life they had, not... You're, let's get off the word slave for a minute. It's the fact maybe they were treated well, this is their family, this is what they know, and they can make the choice to stay with that family for the rest of their life and serve them. This is what Jude is saying here on the word servant. This is what you are as a Christian. God is your master, and God is your Lord, and He is your Father, and He's a loving Father. And He's talking about here, I'm a bondservant. I choose to be owned by God. Well, let's think about that for a minute. God created you. God gave you free will. God knows you better than you know yourself. So other than you owning yourself, me as owner of myself, I don't do that well. Okay, because when I do my own stuff, it's usually bad. Or it's usually not the right way. Or it's usually messed up without God owning my life. And so when you receive Christ... You choose to let him, you know, we say, I received him as Savior. He saved me. And I am following him as Lord. We're left to ourselves. We're sheep, guys. And we studied that. And sheep, man, they're just going to get in trouble and, and, and just get killed. Okay? And so it's saying, God, I want you to own my life. I want you to direct my life because you know better. So, Obviously, the man of God, Jude, needs to be a bondservant, choose to follow God. And we went through 1 Peter and understand those qualifications. A true servant, a servant of Christ, who walks humbly among the believers and before God and does the Lord's bidding. That's what Jude is talking about here. And that's what we need to be doing. And that's what I'm called, to walk humbly among believers and before God and do the Lord's bidding. We are ambassadors. I, uh, for Christ. An ambassador doesn't say what he wants to do. He re represents the country or the kingdom that he's representing. A true servant of God, a true minister of God, to true totally uh, to God. Uh, and so, a true servant, excuse me, true servants lead to true believers. You understand how that works? If I'm not following God, again, you're responsible for what you do. 
I just need to help encourage and equip you and lead you the right way. And I'm responsible for what I tell you. That if you have a true servant of God, you will have a true believer in God. And it follows, because look at the, the next part of verse 1. To those who are called, the audience, the true believers, that word called or summoned, and we use the word invited. You remember that time where God spoke to you and God used an individual. It may have been a church, it may have been a camp, it may have been just an individual. And this is why in our witnessing, guys, we yes, we witness, but when God lays in our heart, there's time to land the plane and say, is that something you would like to do? Ask Christ into your heart. So these are people that have been called and accepted the invitation uh, to, to God. And so they have responded to the gospel, the good news of Christ. And in Christ you are purchased and you are, you are bought with a price, a precious price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, For you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You are valuable so much that he redeemed you. And so... Now you need to point to God in all the things you do, whether physically or spiritually, verbally, or anything. And so, yeah, we'll get to the points here in a minute, okay? Since we have chosen to be bought back, we are freely given ourselves to Christ. So just as we talked about, Jude said that he was a bondservant. When we choose the Christ to save him, we choose to make him the Lord of our lives, and we choose to be owned by him. And so what that means is we choose to walk and be sanctified, to turn from our sins, to repent, to be set apart, to be separated, to be dedicated, to be holy. Didn't say perfect. And so this means that we are called to an eternal hope from a living God, not to dead things. And we are called to serve Christ. And we are called to be, we don't use this word a lot, saints. And that means, that definition for the word saint means this, to live a life of, 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 belief, of holiness, to be holy. I don't know, when I was growing up, I felt the word holiness meant perfection. Good luck with that. But it means, have you been set apart for God? Can people, is there enough evidence in your life that they know you follow God? Is there enough evidence in your life, in your words, your deeds, your actions, all those things? Did not say perfection. But they know that you follow God. Let me help you with that. Is the pastor going to have to lie at your funeral? And I'm not, I don't do funerals where it's like, yeah, they were the greatest person in the world and that's why they're saved. We're saved by grace. But you know some of those funerals. You, you, you know some of those funerals where it's like it's easy. And then it's not, you know, or everybody knows in the crowd what's going on there, okay? You know, kind of thing. Kind of remind me of the story, the worst man in this town, he just was horrible. You know, he died, you know, rich man. And then his brother, you know, came to the pastor and said, I, need, I, I will pay off this church and give you $100 million if you don't talk bad about my brother at this funeral. So he gets to the funeral pastor gets up there and he says all these bad things about this guy and everybody knew the guy was bad they knew you know we're trying to put him into hell but it's like you know this guy there was no evidence there okay that kind of thing pastor goes through all this thing that and his brother's on the front row looking and he goes and he wasn't as bad as his brother though that didn't land right okay his brother was worse and he got the money all right that, i'm not a joke teller let larry tell it to you later okay whatever <laughs> we can he, at least he wasn't as bad as his brother. Okay, 
So we can stay true to God. Here's your feeling and wake up, okay? We can stay true to God because we are called to salvation and service. Here's the problem. You've, sometimes you're forgetting your invite. Forget about the bad joke. Just go on, okay? Stop dwelling on it, okay? I am. All right? But here's the problem, okay? We forget what we're invited to. We forget what we're called to. You expect the pastor to remember his call, but what about you all? That doesn't change, that doesn't dissipate despite what culture is pushing at you. You're saved by grace, you're saved by Christ, you're called to serve Christ, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to stay true, I'm saved by grace through Jesus Christ. I am a servant, a follower of Christ. That's all, the only reason I'm still here. We are, called, we are called to this because we're loved by God. Look at the last part of the verse 1. Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Beloved in God the Father. God chose, we choose to believe, and God saves us and he loves us. I love that word, beloved. We don't use it that much, but we're, we're loved. And he continues to love us. And beloved is so intimate. See, a lot of times we think, oh, God just puts up with us, and he just has to save us, and he has to take care of us. He loves us. He chooses to love us. We are, we are beloved by him. Your next feeling, see, you're coming fast now, right? Staying true to God. <laughs> Staying true to God is easier because we are totally loved by God. You know what helped me with that? Because I told you, I grew up thinking, you know, God just tolerates me. He's ready to smack me. What's helped me with that is I've become a grandparent. Is how I feel about my grandchildren. I know they're not perfect. I know they can do things. But I totally love them. I love my kids, too, and, and all that stuff. All that stuff you're supposed to do. Okay, I'm just messing with you. But it really helped me understand how I just enjoy being with them. I just enjoy spending time with them. There's no agenda or anything. I don't have to parent them or whatever. I can give them the Dr. Pepper and the cookie and send them back to their parents and let them deal with it, whatever that is. Not that I would do that. We won't get into that. But um, that's what I want us to understand about God. That's how God feels about us. We're beloved. Just rest in Him. We're totally, you, you're never going to be more loved by God than you are right now. The problem is with us. Is we listen to the devil or the things that are going around with us and we forget what his word. Going back to the importance of being found on his word, you have to know God's word to replace Satan's lies. Because Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Who is he talking to? Satan, who is trying to twist God's word. See the connection here? What pastor always pushes? What scripture are you learning? What are you applying in your life? Every, maybe you listen. I know you guys listen. I'm just not used to anybody listening to me. Every scripture I am quoting to you, I got my mindset, I'm going to learn this to show off to the church. Not. I learned it because it was something I was struggling with. So here's your first concept. You've got to replace Satan's lies with God's word. And one of the biggest lies is this, you're not beloved by God. Why did I have to learn Romans 8, 1? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. So if I feel in love, that is not coming from God. How about you? Do you feel that you're totally loved by God? You may not love yourself and like some things about yourself, 
But you receive Christ. He loved you so much that he gave his son for you. He loves you so much that he gives the Holy Spirit to help you. He loves you. We are, we are his beloved. A true believer is preserved in Christ. Look at the last part of one. And kept for Jesus Christ. That means we're secure, that we're guarded. He's, observed, he's watching us, he's guarding us, he's maintaining us. I know we've all been there. God, do you see what's going on in my life? Do you know what I'm going through? Guess what he does? You know, I was reading Job today, and you know, God allowed that. And God's not a sadist. But we need to understand he is working towards eternal things. And, and you know, but God knows where you're at. And what we learned from 1 Peter is, guess what? We are going to suffer, focus on Christ, and focus on the end. And, and I've got to look up something. Uh, I didn't look it up today, but he was talk, Job was talking about his pain, and he was talking about the pain of the ostriches. I thought, well, I wouldn't want to get close to an ostrich, but how can an ostrich be painful? So I'm going to have to look that up, and you're already Googling it. You need to wait and you listen to the sermon. Okay? But God knows God knows our pain. He maintains us. He helps us through that. And the end game is to be right with Him. 2 Timothy 1.12 says this, Which is why I suffer as I do. This is Paul talking. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. Nothing can take our salvation away. Yes, we may be. I'm not making light of the suffering that you're going through. But First Peter should have taught us: don't focus on the suffering. Christ suffered. Be suffered for the right reasons. Focus on God. He's going to maintain you. He's going to help you through that. God keeps a true believer. He guards and watches over them. A true believer is preserved and kept by God. Your next film: we can stay true to God, knowing we are always kept by God. Here's the problem. We think we can handle our stuff better than God can. Going back to a biblical worldview, you have to see life. Your question, if you're going to make this change, is what does God's word say? Now again, some things that God may not be clear. Guess what? Don't move. And his principles, he's got principles. You may have to dig deeper. But this is a principle that we need to understand that God's going to keep us. God's going to take care of us. A true believer is blessed by, by Christ. Salvation provides us with many blessings. Let's look at verse uh, 2. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied in you. Peter was saying that. He said it, I think, at least a couple of times as we went through it. So obviously this is something in the Christian life that we want to grow in. Let's look at mercy first. That's God's loving kindness, his goodwill, his compassion. I think that's, that's two ways there. We need to receive God's grace, but here's the problem. I can be like this a lot. I want God's grace, but I don't want to give it to you. Well, pastor, you always act nice to me, but I, I try to act nice. I, and not because I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to. But there's so many times by myself with road rage, you know, or whatever. You know, giving people mercy. Giving, uh, showing loving kindness. Compassion. You know? I gotta have Jesus for those things. Because in my flesh, especially with the craziness of times, the more you want to go inward and not deal with people. And yet God told us to go and make disciples. See what I'm saying? You need Jesus' mercy, grace, and power to do this. And He wants it to multiply in your life. We haven't even gotten there yet. And so 
here's the blessings of God. I'm invited and I'm called by God. And so he's keeping me. So if God's keeping me, I don't have to worry about my salvation or what's going on in my life. Because God's got this. He knows what's going on. He's in control. So let's let these things grow in our lives. God's loving kindness. We can only be kind in ourselves till something bothers us. We can only, we can only show goodwill in ourselves until, oh, that's a deal breaker. I'm out. Compassion? Without God, it's not going to happen. This is why we need his mercy to grow in our lives. God, give me mercy so I can give others mercy. So many times, I just like the mercy and I don't want to share it. Notice this, peace. So he wants mercy to grow in your life. He wants peace, God's rest, his quietness. This is a gift, the peace of Christ between God and us. And, and Hebrews talks about that we can go boldly before the throne of grace to receive grace in our time of need because of Christ. We are at peace with God. Now, I, we talk about this all the time. Peace is not the absence of trouble. And I bring up the scripture that Jesus left the disciples. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, and I give you my peace. That's what you need to have in your thought life. I don't like this, but this is where God wants me to be. And guess what? Jesus went. But so many times, everybody here, me included, the peace is the absence of trouble. Stop focusing on the suffering. Stop focusing on the trouble. And focus on the fact, am I doing the right thing? Do I have peace with God? Am I good with God? Have I done what he wanted me to do? And so, it's his rest. It's his quietness. It's not the absence of trouble. It's that song, 23rd Psalm. That you can walk through all those areas of life and God is maintaining you and giving you this peace in these rough times. And so he gives us that peace and notice what else he wants to multiply. He wants mercy to multiply. He wants peace to multiply. He wants love. This is agape. This is, uh, there are three kinds of love in the, in the Greek. One is friendship. One is, one is sexual. And agape is sacrificial love. It is the fact of giving yourself, not wanting anything in return. And Jesus is the ultimate example of selfless love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God generously giving his son for us. So he wants that love to grow in our hearts. And guys, if we're going to stay true, we've got to have the Holy Spirit. And we've got to look at the things he wants to multiply in our lives. And we've got to trust him to help multiply. Because on our own, when you try to give mercy or you try to have peace or you try to love people in your flesh, again, when you're done, you're done. I know me. If I try to do something in my flesh, okay, I was nice to you for a while, but I'm going to go over here. I was nice to you for a while, but goodbye. And there's sometimes we need to do that if God tells us to do this. But what I'm saying is how many times we face stuff in our family or different situations. <coughs> Jesus, you're going to have to do it. I'm going to follow you because you're maintaining my life. So help me give mercy. Lord, I don't like what's going on in my life, but I'm going to trust your peace. Lord, I don't want to love this person, but you love me. Help me be selfless. It's not about me. A true believer has received the mercy, the peace, and the love of God. But these blessings are not singular. See, a lot of people it's like, I received Jesus' mercy when I got saved. I got peace and I know that I'm saved. And I have the love of God and that's it. And I've talked about that. Your testimony is this. 
what your life was before God, how you came to God, and guess what? Your testimony continues to go on. What is God doing in your life right now to multiply mercy in your life, to multiply peace in your life, to multiply love? I shared Wednesday night, and I shared this verse before. This is a verse I've learned recently, Psalms 112.7. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm because he trusts in the Lord. Why did I learn that? Because like I told most of you, you can quote it or whatever, is this. I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm waiting for the next bad thing to, to happen. And I'm in sin when I do that. Because that verse, learn God's word. See what I'm saying? Speak in thought and replace it with God's word. That is not true to be worrying about these things. You can go to uh, Matthew chapter 6 and he talks about worrying. We're going to cover Matthew chapter 6 sometime. But I'm in sin, and I just learned that in this time of my life. That you know what? I'm in sin when I worry about those things. I'm in sin when I'm always looking for the bad part of it. God wants to multiply his peace in my life where, okay, God, I'm not going to worry about what could happen. I think that's 15 years of youth ministry. It's always like, what could happen? Well, how do I need to stay awake on the bus? All those kind of things, you know. And some of that's been beneficial or whatever. But you see what I'm saying? We've got to trust God. We've got to get off the fact of I'm, God's growing that in my life. Peace. This is what I want to help you with, believers. You never grow up. This isn't a one-time thing on salvation. I've got the security of God. I've got the peace of God. I've got the love of God. What? How's that growing in your life right now? Think about that for a minute. How am I receiving God's mercy when I mess up? How am I giving God's mercy when somebody else messes up? How am I viewing peace? Is that growing in my life? How am I having God's love where it's selfless and it's not about me? Continual. Growing Christian life. Multiplied. That means to increase to the fullest. That means abundant life. And we go back to the choices that we have in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. That's Satan. But I come that you have life, and some of you are just uh, surviving. And these times, physically or whatever, we're like, I just got to stay away from everybody and just survive. But do you really think that, that that's what God wants for you? He wants you to thrive. Because what, what happens? I'm not saying that somebody sees a perfect life. But you've got all these lost people that they're looking for love in, in all the wrong places. And you have the love of God in your heart and your life, and you're just trying to survive. And you're not trying to multiply the mercy, the love, the peace in your life. That is attractive. When they see somebody, why is it that that person has a green leaf on them in the sense of they, they, they seem, yes, they've got bad things going on and they're not making light of it. But they seem to have some kind of peace that I don't have. That is attractive. <coughs> because only God can give that. Multiply. It's, a, it's the abundant life. Thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come to have life. And have it abundantly. I think we've sold the term abundant life like, well, abundant life is this. I don't have any problems and I got a lot of money. Well, that's a lie out of the pit of hell. Because... The words that were reading by the men that wrote it, inspired by God, they were living the abundant life, and most of their lives did not end up good. They're physical. God pours out the blessings on the true believers who are called, 
who are loved, who are kept by God. Your last feeling, you can stay true to God, yielding the blessings of God. What does that mean? He said that this was a blessing. And so yielding means that in abundance, are, are you showing mercy? Are you receiving mercy? In abundance, are you growing in peace? I mentioned at my stage in my life, that's what I'm learning about the peace of God. You need to stop thinking about what could happen, and regardless of anything that does happen, trust God. Have the peace of God, because you're trusting in Him. Are you yielding the mercy of God? Are you yielding the peace of God? Are you, yield, are you yielding the love of God? Because the older I get, the more I realize without Christ how selfish I am. And the crazier the world gets, the more I realize I don't want to deal with people in my flesh. I don't want you to ever think I don't love people and that I don't love you. But I try to be honest because I know half of you are dealing with this. You're just not going to say anything about it. Okay? And that's what I need to understand. Am I yielding God's selfless, sacrificial love in my life? We need to stay true. And so, as we stand on our feet, well, well, don't stand yet, let's look at these questions here. We're going to have time for invitation. Let's look at these questions. Are you truly, uh, are you truly uh, saved by and serving God? If you were to say there was a time in your life where I realized I was a sinner, that I couldn't save myself, and that I realized that only Christ could save me, and I asked Christ to save me, have you done that? If you haven't, we're going to have a time of invitation here in a moment. Are you truly staying true to serving God? Well, I used to do this, and then somebody ticked me off or I got too old. Really? Because here's how I view it. I may change what I do in ministry, but whether I'm a pastor or a fellow believer, God never tells us to stop. When, are you truly serving God? Or are you serving your own strength and your own intentions or whatever? Next question. Are you living totally loved by God? That's where I was. And it's taken me years to understand. I know God loves me. And, and you've got to be careful about feelings. But the more you read God's word, God really loves us. He's not just there. To, he's not trying to smack us down. He loves us so much. He doesn't want us to be punished. And so I want you to understand, you don't choose Christ. You will be punished, and it will be your choice. But a lot of you have made the choice for Christ, but you feel like, and feeling is a really scary word, because there's going to be times that you're not going to feel anything. This is why you need to go to God's Word. Whether you feelings come next, they, emotions don't come first. You need to, Jesus was hungry, and, and he was being tempted by Satan for 40 days. And what did he have to say? Man should not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Put God's word before your feelings. And so the question is, I'm asking you, are you living totally loved? You know what? It's taken me years to understand that and to accept it. And you know what? God, I am, I am the most loved by God that I'll ever be loved. He's not going to love us any less. He's not going to love us anymore. You say, well, that's worth anymore. He loves us. We're his beloved. So where are you at on that? Next question. How secure are you? Now, there's a reason why I'm a Christian. I know why I'm a Baptist. Okay? And guess what? There's other Christians that aren't Baptists. We all know that. But one of the reasons I didn't grow up being a Southern Baptist was because I, I'm not saying it this way. I'm just telling you where I came from. I felt like at least the people I was around, they were like, got my fire insurance. Now I can go do what I want. Cheap grace. 
I want saved, always saved. Let's try it. When you're saved, you're saved. And I spent most of the time doubting my salvation growing up. And I had to go through and ask those hard questions that I had never made a decision for Christ. And when I got to that, I was well, I was I was 30 years plus years old, been through seminary, doubting my salvation. And I went through Dr. Frizzell's stuff and said, you know, if I'm not saved, I don't care who knows it. I am tired of doubting this. And what God gave me is Romans 8, 16. The spirit and self-bearers of our spirit that we are the children of God. I know I'm saved. Not because of what I've done or what I'm going to do. Guess what? Jesus Christ. How secure are you? Well, you may know you're saved, but Jesus, you know what I'm going through right now? Don't you see what's happening here? Do you care? Yes. Go to the 23rd Psalm. So how secure are you in God? Maybe you need to lean in a little more in prayer. Next question. Are you surviving or thriving? Let's just be honest right now. These are crazy times. And there are some things we need to do to survive. The freezer's a good thing and storing some things. I'm so mad. I try to get cheap Walmart chips and they're all gone because everybody figured it out. And I'm not buying name brand. I can't afford that. I could, but I'd get in trouble or something. But Okay, but here's the deal. A lot of people are in the survival mode because I can't get this. I don't know when I'm going to get it next, but let's talk about spiritually. If they're physically in a survival mode, what does it look like for someone that has, yeah, the stinks, and yeah, I'm dealing with this, but this is how I deal with it through Jesus Christ. Are you surviving or are you thriving? Are you living the abundant life? And so God calls you to do that. I think that's all the questions today. So here's the question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how well are you staying true to God? Now this altar is open for you to pray. I'm here to talk to you. But we need to stay true to God. And the only way we can stay true to God is through salvation in Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through letting these things grow in our lives. As we stand on our feet and have a time of invitation, however you need to respond today, I want to be here for you. Lord, I just, I, I just pray as we look at the lives today that you help us to see how and where we need to stay true to you. In your name, Jesus.